I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to a book that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to Colossians. We, a couple of verses just to highlight there in the third chapter, beginning at verse 23 and then the 24th verse as well. We're in the middle of a study of a little book called My Heart, Christ's Home or His Home. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about the rec room. And these are the two verses. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Tim Hansel has a wonderful little book. It's entitled, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. And in that book, he writes, if I could live life over again, I'd try to make more mistakes next time. I would relax more. I would be sillier. I know a few things that I would take as seriously. I would take more trips. I would be crazier. I would climb more mountains, swim more rivers, and watch more sunsets. I would do more walking and looking. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. You see, I'm one of those people who live life prophylactically and sensibly, hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I have had my moments, and if I could do it over again, I would have more of them. In fact, I try to have just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead each day. I've been one of those people who never go anywhere without a thermometer, a raincoat, an aspirin, and a parachute. If I could do it over again, I would go more places. I would do more things. I would travel lighter than I have. I would start going barefoot way earlier in the spring and go until way later in the fall. I would play hooky more. I wouldn't make such good grades, except maybe by accident. I would ride more merry-go-rounds. I would pick more daisies. Robert Munger, in that little booklet, pictures Jesus coming into our hearts and knocking on the door and asking if he can come in and live with us, take up residence. And so far in this series, we have looked at Jesus coming into the study and into the workroom, into the nursery, into our dining room, into our bedroom, and last week into the living room. This morning, Jesus wants to come into the rec room, into the recreation room, or if you will, into our playroom. Munger notes that he had hoped Jesus would just ignore this room. And along with it, whatever kind of fun he was having inside in his leisure time. He admits that he's really not all that comfortable sharing this room with Jesus. Maybe, like many of us, it's because he has divided his life into two basic parts. There is the Jesus part of his life over there, and there is the me part of his life over here. And when he's over here, he really doesn't want Jesus looking over his shoulder. That is, we have our sacred time. We have our worship and our devotions and our small group and our church work. 
And then we have over here, if you will, our secular time, a football game with the guys, a movie, not necessarily rated G or GP, bar hopping with friends. Or maybe it's because Munger never really has associated Jesus with fun or with recreation or with pleasure or with even just having a good time. Maybe it's because he's not comfortable with Jesus knowing what he finds pleasurable. But Munger and many, perhaps even most people, just aren't comfortable with Jesus knowing what they do in their playtime. So Jesus confronts Munger, confronts him with his thinking. He says, I thought when I came into your home, we were going to do everything together. And you thought with me around, you weren't going to have very much fun, right? What kind of person deliberately leaves their best friend out of a significant part of their life? What kind of a person does things or goes places knowing his family and his friends would be embarrassed if they found out about it? So Jesus reminds us this morning that he came so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. The Westminster Catechism captures this thought for us in its very first question. The question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him, to enjoy him forever. So I think it's true that we tend to separate our recreation, our pleasures, our leisure, our play, if you will, from God and from our faith. There is a for him, and there is a for us. And we would prefer that there was a rather clear divide between the two. We prefer to conceal the for us behaviors, the for us relationships, the for us activities that might seem self-serving and some might deem inappropriate from the for him time. Many perhaps even most Christ followers, seem to have some things they would still like to keep hidden from God. Some activities, some thoughts that they really don't want Jesus to see or to know about. And that's the problem. An equal, perhaps even greater danger is compartmentalizing our lives and relegating God to certain rooms and hoping he will stay out of the other rooms. I mean, we're okay if God wants to step into our study. We're happy that God wants to be in our living room and we can go and meet with him on occasion because the truth is we're not in those rooms all that much anyway. But we would prefer to keep God out of our bedroom and out of our closet and perhaps even out of our recreation room. But God expects us to do everything together. He wants to have access to every room. Many of us will make a transition rather shortly. You see, after worshiping this morning, most of us will be headed for home. 
We have been to church. We have worshiped. We have prayed. We have spent time with God. We're good. Check. We've done our God time. Now it's our turn time. We'll go home. We will relax. We will assume that the rest of the day is ours. We may enjoy a good meal. We may spend time with family. We may take a nap. We may go for a walk. We may take a ride to the lake. We may take a ride on the lake. We may settle in with a good book, or we may plant ourselves in front of a big screen. We gave God his time this morning. Now it's our time, my time. Now, please understand, all of those are wonderful things. But few of us will think about or notice how God may be present in each one of those things. C.S. Lewis reminds us, quote, We concentrate on the pleasure of an event, and we ignore the smell of deity that hangs in it, end quote. You see, the problem that you and I encounter in the rec room is that we miss the connection between play, recreation, and the kingdom of God, between the joys and the pleasures of life, and between the fact that God created them, and he invites us to enjoy them and him forever. So this message is about play. When was the last time you ever heard a message On play. You see, most people think that play is, it's silly. And it's not very spiritual. But the truth is, play is actually a very serious activity. And it is very, very spiritual. By definition, play involves a sense of randomness. We don't know how the ball is going to bounce or how a friend will react to our make-believe world. Play cannot be controlled. It cannot be manipulated. It cannot be pre-programmed. Referees and umpires try to control the game, but truth is, it's virtually impossible. Every play unfolds in an unexpected way. This is what makes play so, so enticing, so entertaining, so wonderful. Spontaneity is one of the primary benefits of play. We learn to let go. We learn to relax. We learn to open ourselves up to whatever might happen. We become vulnerable. We're more transparent. On one occasion, instead of lecturing... James Bryan Smith told his class, his college class, that they would be going out and playing ultimate frisbee together. And they loved it. He stepped in a giant mud puddle and got covered. They enjoyed that. A shy girl turned out to be the star player. It was going great until a dog ran onto the field and grabbed the frisbee and ran off with it. We play because God is good. We play, we can play because God's grace is sufficient. We can play because we know that God longs for us to be filled with joy. Play is a great way to experience the goodness of God and all of the blessings of life. Sadly, 
Many adults have lost the desire and the ability to play. Somewhere on the journey, life took a turn. Marriage, children, a job, responsibilities. And as a result, few adults play, even with their own children. When asked what they do for fun, a group of over 30 pastors, one by one, noted that they didn't really play at anything. One asked if gardening could be included as play. But you see, Jesus once told his disciples that in order for them to be able to enter into the kingdom, they must become childlike. They must embrace trust. They must have a joyful expectation. They must have little self-consciousness. Play is the act of self-abandonment. We must stop taking ourselves so seriously and enjoy life together. Ever noticed that most of play takes place in groups with others? We should picture God's kingdom more like a playground. Playing, playing within the confines of a safe area with trusting parents overseeing their children. Kids are free to spin and slide and climb to enjoy the moment. Because our Heavenly Father is always watching over us, we are free to let go. We are free to play, to enjoy. And when we play, we are training our bodies and our souls to live with anticipation and with expectation and excitement. And that, that is what the kingdom of God is all about. I have three statements, three premises that I'd like us to consider for just a moment this morning. The first one goes like this. Joy is one of the most powerful connectors to experiencing the presence of God. Joy is one of the most powerful connectors to experiencing the presence of God. When our son Joel was a preschooler, the doctor suggested that we have tubes put in his ears. And it's true that no parent likes to see their child go into surgery, even minor surgery, but we relented. And in the car ride on the way home, Joel wondered what all the new noises he was hearing really were. And we realized that he had never heard traffic noises before, never heard the birds singing, never heard the wind rushing through the trees. When our son Brian was little, we wondered about his eyesight. We took him to a pediatric specialist. We had his eyes tested and they had him fitted for glasses. And when they, he first put them on, he saw trees had individual leaves. He saw flowers were just not blobs of color. He saw that the lawn was made up of individual blades of grass. What was previously blurry and misunderstood became clear. You see, there are many ways that you and I learn about the nature and about the presence of God. We read our Bibles. We pray. We come together and we worship. But if we limit our understanding to God's presence merely to our religious activities, we will miss many of the amazing ways that you and I can experience God and his goodness. That's because we don't hear it. 
just because we don't see it. Play and joy go together. Joy and God go together. The second statement is, we vastly underestimate the power of joy. We vastly underestimate the power of joy. Isaiah the prophet notes that God was frustrated with his people. He shares God's diagnosis in Isaiah 29. He writes, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from it. Their worship of me is made up only of rules. Then God offers his prescription for treating that disease of just going through the motions and not having our heart fully engaged. And God says, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder upon wonder. Pierre Tilhard de Chardin, a Jesuit theologian, said, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. Steve Evans is one of my favorite philosophers, Christian philosophers. Now, the truth is, I don't know very many philosophers, so it wouldn't take very much to be at the top of the list. And I'll tell you why he's my favorite in just a moment, because he said, and I quote, one of the best proofs for the existence of God is banana cream pie, end quote. Now, I think he meant to say fresh peach pie, but he and I basically think alike. These are some very deep truths in Evans' simple proposition. You see, we often fail to recognize that some of the most powerful evidences for the presence and the power and the goodness of our God are the very things that you and I take for granted day in and day out. Like, Water or snow skiing, hitting a great tee shot on the very first hole, watching a funny movie and laughing till our sides hurt, the memory of our first kiss, diving into a pool on a hot day, watching a sunset or the tide come in, or having a magna bar after being out in the desert heat all day. You see, the presence of God exists deeply in the laughter that you and I share with our friends. In seeing a deer run across 22nd Street on the way home from church like I did last week. In enjoying a favorite hobby, collecting, painting, gardening, crafting, whatever. Or in having my afternoon errands interrupted on Rivertown Parkway as all of traffic stopped to allow a mother and her ducklings to simply cross the street. You see, if we pause to listen and observe, the very nature and the presence of God is found in the budding daffodils, in a starlit night, in a rainbow, or in a flash of lightning across the sky. Eric Lydell, the English runner turned Chinese missionary of chariots of fire fame said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. There is no place where, if our eyes and our ears are open, we would not be overwhelmed by the presence and the power and the goodness of our God. When we understand we are compelled to worship him, 
And, and like our mind's eye runs up a sunbeam to its source, all of these things in our lives are threads to the presence and to the power and to the goodness of our great God. Many churchgoers define their relationship with God by about how angry he might be or how disappointed he must be in us or by perhaps how guilty we feel, some of which might be appropriate, but it's incomplete and it's not where God wants to leave us. If we keep the joy and the pleasure in our lives separate from any and all understanding we might have of God, we distort God and our understanding of him. We short-circuit his goodness and we diminish our relationship with him and we squelch our joy. In our God-breathed world, every day is filled with moments and glimpses of God. If we can only see and hear them, and then if we could only attribute them to God himself, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, Paul writes, so that you have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. In the Old Testament, three or four times a year, For small or big reasons, God would step in and God would say, you know what, people? I'd like you to stop working. I'd like you to prepare an amazing feast for celebration that reflects my goodness and my blessing on your life. And by the way, this feast should last for a whole week, seven days. That is, I want you to stop working and simply enjoy me and my goodness on occasion. So in addition to those Old Testament feasts, there was the goal of a weekly Sabbath, of a sabbatical year, and even of a jubilee. That is the purpose of recreation, the purpose of laughter, the purpose of joy. It is the chief end of everyone who has been created in God's image. And then there's that third statement, the third premise that goes like this. We forget play is an expression of God's presence in our world. We forget that play is an expression of God's presence in our world. You see, play is a God-given way to release the life-threatening busyness, hurry, stress, and anxiety that has a vice grip on each one of our lives. Only sin allows our play to become an escape, a self-indulgence, or for self-gratification. So on Saturdays, I often dress down, jeans, old shirt. Six days a week, Marilyn serves as my fashion police. On Saturday, I allow her to rest. You'll notice she's back on duty again this morning. I do it purposefully to pull myself away from the busyness of the other six days. Have you ever been to the bank where they refused to cash your check because you looked worse than your driver's license? I try to get a walk-in for about an hour, three or four times a week. It helps to slow me down. I cherish the times that I'm not attending a meeting, not writing a message, not dealing with others' issues or concerns, not paying bills, not running errands, not doing chores. And as a result, over the years, I have an increased sense in my soul that God loves me, that God is full of joy toward me. 
I cherish those minutes and those moments. Sometimes it's fleeting, but it's a remarkable connection that helps me understand a little bit more of who God is. We not only underestimate joy, we underestimate the power of joy in our life. We are not alone. God was constantly teaching and reminding his people throughout the scriptures about joy. To Nehemiah, a prophet, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy the choice food and the sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. The day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them, end quote. We're told some, something very powerful happens when we experience the joy of the Lord. It gives us strength. It enhances our perspective. It grounds us in the deepest of truths. It sustains, it nourishes, it guides, it fills us. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit's presence in our life. The Spirit enables us to walk boldly and fearlessly, knowing that we are accompanied and empowered by God's presence within us. Even as we journey through the valleys and the shadows of life, giving ourselves the freedom to create, to play, to laugh, brings restoration and healing and joy. Play develops resilience. It helps us react, relax. It helps us to see things a bit more clearly. It changes our limbic, our cerebral response. Play improves our ability to interact and to connect with others. I have had a life filled with moments of joy. My wedding day, my graduations, the births and baptisms and professions of faith, the graduations and the weddings of my sons, being alone with God in the Mojave Desert, hiking in the Tetons, waiting in the pool of Engedi, my ordination, attending a prayer meeting atop the World Trade Center, and then months later, standing beside its crater, worshiping at the Brooklyn Tabernacle and hearing the choir, lunch with my dad, he always pays. Eating with Marilyn and my sons, both on the Atlantic Ocean and by the Pacific Ocean. In fact, eating anywhere with them is a joy. Pastoring here at Georgetown, sharing my hobbies and playing games with my grandkids. Actually, almost anything, anytime with my grandkids. These are just a few of the blessings that I have received from God that tell me a whole lot about who he is. For a few precious minutes, you can get lost in the moment. Your heart is so full of gratitude for the privilege of experiencing that presence, his power and his goodness. Just a moment. In these awesome moments, we experience the essence and the strength of our Christian faith. You see, joy is not just a momentary aberration. 
Those moments of joy are a glimpse of what life with Jesus is going to be like for all eternity. Now, there is a bedrock foundational principle that undergirds all of this, makes it all possible. You see, in Jesus' day, many laborers, many of the field workers, many of the carpenters and bricklayers were illiterate. Many had not been schooled beyond the elementary years, and in the Beth Sefer, that is, in the synagogue's elementary school, the primary educational focus was simply to memorize the Torah. They would know the books of Moses by memory. That was the goal. At 12 years of age, only the best, the cream of the crop, if you will, would go on to Bet Midrash, that is, to what we would call middle school. And there they would study the prophets and the writings. All the others went into the family trade. I just want to note that every one of the disciples had a trade. Working under the hot Israel sun, they would take the water, their water and their food to the job site. Most also took a cloth in order to wipe the sweat off their brow, off their hands, off their arms, the dirt from their faces. And sometimes they would shove that little cloth into their pocket. Sometimes they would just simply toss it on the floor. And they would reuse it day after day after day until the job was done. But now because they couldn't write an invoice or leave a note saying the job was done, tradition suggests that they would take that cloth and instead of leaving it crumpled up on the floor to signify that they weren't finished, to signify that they were coming back again the next day, they would take it and neatly fold it and they would lay it on top of their finished work to indicate to their boss or to the client that their work was finished, it was done. So the sign of a carpenter, the sign, if you will, of a stonemason, the sign of a craftsman, literally what the scripture labels as a tecton, was a neatly folded cloth. Now listen. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up neatly by itself, separate from the linen. Jesus, the carpenter, left his father, his disciples, and you and I assign a neatly folded cloth. In a matter only a carpenter or a tecton could or would, Jesus is saying to the entire world, to you and to me this morning, my work is done. It's finished. It's complete. And that is the bedrock. That is the foundation. That is the source of all of our joy. The work is done. It's finished. It's complete. The deepest longing of our soul can once again be connected to our holy and perfect creator, the Father in heaven. 
But the hard part for us as sinful people is we have no chance of making that happen by ourselves. But understand the hard part's done. The work has been done for us. Jesus did it. And that means that any work that we do for him is not for us to reconcile ourselves to him. It is simply a response to his work that he has already done for us. He did the work of reconciliation. He paid the price. And as a result, there can be joy in our relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. Joy in our work. Joy in our serving. Joy in our play. Joy in our rest and in our recreation. We can experience joy as a way of understanding the presence and the goodness of God. It is finished. It is done. The hard part is over. Jesus has done it. He's done it all for us. So now is the time to rejoice. Truth is, our eternity has already begun. So we can experience this joy in a myriad of ways. Just allow me a moment to summarize. First, all joy emanates from God, all real joy. God is filled with joy. To know real joy is to know God. Joy ushers us into the presence of God. That is, joy takes us into his presence, our heart and our soul, in worship together. Joy transforms us. Joy is our response to who God is. And without joy, we have little hope of really knowing God because God is joy. St. Augustine, an early church father, once prayed, the house of my soul, O God, is too small for you to come in. May it be enlarged by you. Augustine wanted his heart enlarged by joy so that it would be big enough to hold a great God, more of him. And in doing so, he joined with the psalmist who said, Together we celebrate your abundant goodness. May God surprise you with his joy over and over and over again through a song, through a sunrise, through an amazing conversation, by running fast or a day in the woods or a Sunday on a Sunday like this afternoon here at Georgetown or a game with the kids or the grandkids so that his presence may catch you off guard, take your breath away, and remind you of his abiding presence, his endless power, and his gracious goodness.